Welcome to the Religious Renegade Podcast. My name is Christina Carlson, and I am a life coach, podcast host, and ex-evangelical. On this podcast, I am dedicated to sharing stories and having conversations that honor what we have been through while looking to the expansiveness of the future that has so many possibilities. I love nuance and mystery and do not live in the black and white, so you may discover new ways of seeing things, new ideas, and some things that may stretch you a little. My wish for you in listening to this is that you envision a more expansive future for yourself while feeling seen for who you are and where you have been. I'm so glad that you're here. Oh, yeah. It's just, I mean, it's always fun to talk to you. Yeah, 100%. I feel like we could probably do this like once every two weeks and be just fine and never cover everything we want to talk about. No, because we have plenty of thoughts. I I, I can record about 20 minutes of my own thoughts every day. So many thoughts. (laughs) They never end. (laughs) Well, um, I'm so excited to talk to you about grief because it's such an awkward, um, uncomfortable, like, thing that everyone experiences. It's like one of those things that um, is literally a part of being human, yep. but is so readily denied in like almost every relationship. Yes, like, and we don't have a cultural framework for it. I think I've thought so much this past year and a half about like how in so many ways that's one of the, the things that has been impacted the most by colonizing is like we lost all of our like rituals, like all of our like ancestral rituals that would have like supported us through grief. And we just treated it for literally nothing. Like we just don't for like an hour. Yeah. We don't hold space for grief. Yeah. Grateful to be talking about this because I have such a like a love hate relationship with it, but mostly love at this point, honestly, Mm -hmm. (laughs) mostly love. It's done a lot of good things for me to like figure out how to enter into that process. Well, I feel like it's, it's so, um, it's such mother energy mm-hmm. to like, yes. to appreciate this cycle of things. Like I've yes. been, I've been talking with a couple of different people about this, like how every relationship ends with grief. Yeah. Every, every single one. Everyone. With everything. Because one of you goes before the other does. Mm-hmm. Even if you have a beautiful relationship the entire time yeah. you are together, even if you never break up or get divorced or lose that friendship it's yeah. always going to end in one way or another forever so, does not exist no and that, that <laughs> cycle I and mean, we see that cycle everywhere in nature mm-hmm. with like trees and like our whole yes. seasons and all of that it's like even even in the tropics you're seeing trees go through cycles yeah yeah and i think that's one of the reasons i love that you pointed it out pointed out that it's like a mother energy because when we think of like mother nature and mother earth like she's the original like the example that we all have of the cyclical nature of life because yeah. it never ends. It's everywhere. Like it's everywhere that we can see in nature, but we've just been so deeply taught to avoid it because it's painful. It's not fun, but it's a very real part of life. Well, so we got to do the thing. Yes. And that's, that's our, our disconnection from our bodies. Yes. Disconnects us from nature. Disconnects us from this natural, mm-hmm. the natural processes of life, which yes. is why I think we're disconnected from it. Yep. Disconnected from cycles is disconnection from everything. Yeah, and we naturally have our own cycles yeah. in life, whether it's one giant cycle or a bajillion mini cycles <laughs> in between. The cycle of the week, I think we create yes. 
cycles to help us cope yes. with the passage of time even. 100%. It's so interesting. Um, a partner and I have been talking, like exploring like cyclical living because I trend toward having a life cycle that exists on a monthly basis. Like my energies have a very predictable like ebb and flow throughout the month. Yeah. Um, and like I'm more energetic and more social at certain periods of the month. And then I'm like more tied it like tucked in and quiet in certain periods of the month. And a lot of that has to do with my, like with my menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, but my partner, they experience like annual cycles which is so wild, it's wild mm. to watch because there's like this entire period, this long-term extended period of time mm. where they experience like this deep desire for connection and play and fun and party and all of these things. And then during like the winter, fall and winter, there's this very cozy, tucked in quiet time. So we have these very similar cycles, but they operate on such different time frames. but figuring out how to honor the cycles that we both exist within has been such a like anchoring and rooting piece of relationship for us. I we're think different kind of trees. We're different. <laughs> we're, we're different kind of trees. I, I still remember the conversation that we had where we crystallized it and they were like, Oh, you operate on the cycle of the moon and I operate on the cycle of the earth. Whoa. And we were just like, Oh, and it Whoa. gave us this really beautiful framework for like, understanding our rhythms independently and together. I really think if we could harness and just accept the fact that life is not linear, it's all cyclical. Yeah. Everything lives and everything dies. Every season lives and every season dies. Every relationship lives and every relationship dies. And if we could accept that and lean into it, there is this capacity for connection and intimacy and understanding that honestly is still blowing my mind. I don't know how to talk about it fully yet, but yeah. it's like so freeing and liberating in the context of my relationship with myself, with um, my late spouse, with my friends, partners, family. Honoring cycles is everything. Yeah. And in order to honor <laughs> cycles, we have to honor grief. Yes, because that's part of it. And, and our, our like whole society is so hell bent on just celebrating the good. And yes. And, and not that we need to celebrate death, but we're, like dishonoring it, like by not giving us time yes. to process, by not giving room for those emotions and experiences. Yes. We, we tend to, even, even I've noticed this is kind of like a silly, very obvious example of this, but like on social media, if you, if you post about something that's sad, it's not going to get seen. No. I mean, it might a little bit, but yeah. it, whereas if you post like a wedding photo yes. and you like, you just got married or an engagement or yep. a baby birth or a baby announcement, that shit is going to be like seen by yes. literally everyone you've ever known. Because the algorithm is so informed by our engagement and we tend to disengage from pain oh, and engage yeah. with celebration. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. There's such a, there's such a deeply rooted cultural denial of death. But you can't really feel, you can't really deeply feel joy in the same way mm. unless you allow yourself to feel no. the loss of something. Yeah. And not that you, I don't think <sighs> you, like, you need loss to, you know, I'm not, like, leaning into that idea. But, but just, like, as far as, like, allowing emotions to move through our body, if you don't allow grief to move through your body, it's going to not have enough room for joy yes. when it arrives. 
it's so funny, and I won't go off on this tangent because I could stick here for the next three and a half hours. Um, but one of the most powerful things that ever happened for Josh and I in terms of our relationship and how much we loved and appreciated and accepted and championed one another was the day that we stopped believing in heaven and hell. The day that we accepted that neither one of us believed we are going to meet again in this exact form ever again. I don't think so. It's so interesting because I've had so many people who, when I started talking about how I don't, it's not only that I don't believe in hell, I don't believe in heaven either. And I had so many people who were just like, I don't know how you sit with that. And, and I had a number of conversations where the tone of the thing was, well, you can feel that way because you haven't really like lost anyone who's a core part of your life. And then when Josh died, I was like, but still, still, like even, with, even though he is gone, I would love to believe, like I would love to believe that there's like a life after this in which he and I in our like, present manifestations exist again and we can celebrate the life of our child together and we can like look back on all of this history and our legacy and what we created because of the 10 years that we were together. Mm. I want to believe in that. Of course I fucking do. He's my best friend. But like, I don't. <laughs> I, to my core, I don't believe he and I will ever meet in the cosmos in this form again. Mm. And honestly, accepting that was so powerful for us because it put a stop to our ideas that we could take this life for granted and get more of it in the next life. Mm -hmm. It was like, it freed us up to go, oh, if this is all we fucking have with each other, I'm all in. Like, I'm all in on your joy. I'm all in on your thriving. I'll, I'm all in on us and our connection and mm -hmm. like really rooting down to what we want to build together. I, I will one day probably write a book on that. Like the, the ways that That's releasing... That'll be the second book. That'll be the second book. <laughs> second of ten. Um, <laughs> because it's such a powerful... As soon as we acknowledge that there will be a, a concrete end to our relationship, and it will not come again, we got freed up to love each other harder in this life. Of course. It is fucking wild. And I... I I want so much to be able to articulate and communicate that to the full degree that I experienced it. And I will someday, but for now, like, <laughs> I don't know, like, I'll just leave it at that. That love is, love is empowered by impermanence. Like if we can accept impermanence, love becomes more potent. Isn't that, isn't that fascinating? Cheers. <laughs> isn't that fascinating? <laughs> I, I've been sitting with that for about a year as well. I want to say three years, actually, as soon as my daughter was born. Mm. Because I know people who've lost kids. Yes. And yep. I, you know, I was just like, especially at the time coming out of religion, I was just in general, like a super anxious person. Of course. And, um, was just afraid of losing her. And then I had to like, had to like grieve it a little bit yes and then I was like so if then what <laughs> yep and I was like okay if yes. I'm going to fucking cherish every moment yeah. as much as I possibly can yeah and I love her harder because of it mm -hmm. and Absolutely. I've noticed that in other relationships too it's like if this is if this is what we have 
then fuck, we're flo- we're floating on a rock in space. And I get the chance to have a conversation with you. Yeah. I have words and I yes. can talk to you Yo. and sit in this place and we're here. Mm-hmm. Like, what even is this? And I'm so thankful. Yes. Because yep. it's a miracle that we're, we exist at all. It is. There's a um, Sleeping at Last song, Saturn. And it was... That was my daughter's song uh, she was born. It was the song that I played for Josh's memorial service. Oh. Because it was one that like came back to us over and over again. But the, the line in there that says something to the effect of how rare and beautiful it is that we even that exist. we even exist. Like, yeah. we exist. And someday, we're not going to. Right. <laughs> so, like, there's so much. And, and I think so much of my grief experience and the reason I have such a... Um, the reason that my dominant relationship to grief is love, despite the fact that she is a brutal ass bitch. Um, and I hate her sometimes, but I just accepting that all of this ends has given me a depth of appreciation for what is that could not have existed. If I didn't know so firmly that at some point all of this will end. Like, I'm, and it's the most Enneagram thing, uh, Enneagram 4 thing in the world to be like, I'm going to celebrate the shit out of this life and do big and beautiful things and take risks and love boldly and all of these things. And you know why I'm going to do that? Because we're going to motherfucking die. (laughs) Enneagram 4 out. (laughs) We're going to (laughs) die. Like, the reason for, the reason I prioritize pleasure, play, and joy and connection and love and all of these things is because we're going to die. Yeah. Like, and I can't get around that particularly after everything that's happened this past year. Like Mm. I can't get around the fact that this all ends. Yeah. And so, and that doesn't, and that doesn't take away from when it exists. No, it makes it more potent. It makes it so much more potent. I think it's, um, uh, I can think of so many songs right now. I could make a whole playlist for this conversation. <laughs> yes, let's do it. <laughs> but there's a, um, another song, a Kina Granis song called For Now. Mm-hmm. Um, 100% listen to it. It's so good. But it's that same, that same sentiment of, like, all of this is going to end, but we're here right now. So why the fuck are we wasting our time on petty-ass things? Like, that has been... Another of the most powerful things about the grief process for me is sometimes I look at the things that we give our time, energy, and capacity to, yeah. and I just want to shake people and be like, do you not know you don't fucking have time for this? No. You don't have time for this bullshit. You don't have time to babysit what everyone else does on the planet. You don't have time because this all ends. Yeah. Go live your fucking life and love your people. Think. Jesus. Cheers. <laughs> I'm going to keep like cheersing to myself. Just, for those of y'all who cannot see, I just keep like raising the glass to my own thoughts. That's, I do that all the time. Funny. Maybe that's an Enneagram for Maybe it is. Cheers. I, I say good shit and then I cheers myself. It's also like our party vibe. Like, because I think that we celebrate life. We celebrate life. So it's like standing in the middle of a club and holding up a drink yes. for a good song. Like, yes. it's that same feeling. <laughs> Yeah, the Saturn song was actually when uh, when we made our um, took our maternity photos. I mm-hmm. shared those lyrics, um, and everyone was like, "Are you okay? Is everything okay?" And I was like, 
Yes! This is a celebratory thing! <laughs> I've never been happier! I have never been happier. Like, it's rare and beautiful. It's rare and beautiful. And we're here. And we get love. Like, so let's fucking have love. Yeah, allow it. Mm. Allow it. <sighs> well, that's our intro. That's our so, intro. Welcome. So... <laughs> Welcome back. How, how would you define grief? <laughs> how would I define grief? I would define grief as the embodied sensation of change. Ah, that's it. Like, I think that's the wild part is we've come to associate grief so deeply with death. Mm. And grief isn't about death. Grief is about change. Grief is yeah. about... Um, a thing that once existed, no longer existing. And that doesn't yes. have to be a person or a death. It's I think one of the reasons that we're so disconnected from grief and, and from our own experiences of it is because we've put it in this category where it's like, we only deserve it if someone dies. Oh. And we only deserve it if the person who dies was very, very, very close to us. Oh. And we only deserve it for a limited period of time inside a tiny box like tucked away from society so no one has to feel the discomfort of it. Grief is just the physiological embodied experience of change. Um, deserve it. I, we deserve it. I, I love that perspective mm -hmm. because it's so true. Like you deserve to be yeah. able to grieve something. It's something yes. we're deprived of all yes. the time. We are worthy of grief. We are worthy of the experience of being in this human body and this human experience where things are constantly changing and we're always looking for ground. We're always looking for something reliable mm. because that's how we're built. We're physiologically wired to seek safety, safety. Yeah. and safety feels like changelessness in the human body mm. and changelessness, changelessness does not exist. Yeah. It doesn't exist. And so for us to give ourselves permission and to understand that we are deeply worthy of feeling the full spectrum of human emotion, including the like gut punch of when things change and we weren't prepared for it mm. or we didn't want it or we didn't ask for it or consent to it or any of those things. Grief is just, that's literally it. It's just the embodied sensation of change. That's yeah. all. We all have it every day. We live with it on a constant basis. Oh, and just let that blow your mind. Um, <laughs> Because it's blowing my mind. <laughs> that's that's so true. Mm -hmm. And I think I think naming it yes. and allowing ourselves to feel that, mm -hmm. we would probably be able to move through our day and life yes. with a lot more ease. Yes, 100%. Because it's just an accepted, at some point it just becomes an accepted part of reality. I yeah. have come so deeply to just like understand that grief is a part of my life experience right now. And it's going to come along every single day in some manifestations. Some days it's going to be easier than others. Some days the waves will be very small and very far apart. Some days they will be massive and too close together for me to conceptualize. But grief will be a part of my everyday experience and like accepting that has also helped me ex ex accept the fact that that has never not been true. That didn't happen. That didn't happen when Josh died. Right. Like right. it didn't happen when I left the church and like lost this huge sense of social stability that I experienced in the entirety of my belief structure. <laughs> um, it didn't happen 
when Josh and I were going through infertility, like they're, they're just like, there was never a point ever in the entirety of my existence where grief, the embodied sensation of change wasn't a part of my everyday life. That has never not been the truth. And that doesn't like, that doesn't discredit the magnitude of grief I'm feeling right now, but it makes it feel a little more manageable to just be like, Oh, I've been, I've been moving through grief cycles my whole life. Always. I can do this. This is just on a bigger scale. Like, do you have in your mind and in your, I'm sure you do already in your mm. body, like, but have you like come to understand what your cycle is, your process, like how you move through it? Yes. And how has that affected you? Yeah. So I, um, it depends on the magnitude of the grief wave. There are, and how, how far out it impacts my life. Mm -hmm. um, so there are like pieces of grief and change that are relatively small. So like, let's say we're just moving through a day and we were planning to do a thing with a friend and it gets canceled last minute. Yeah. There's grief in that. Like, yeah. because it's like a change in plans and it's, mm -hmm. but it's a tiny grief. Right. So that's a grief that I can just be like, fuck, that sucks. I was really looking forward to that and it's not going to happen now but it doesn't impact my life in the long term. So those I can kind of move through relatively quickly. Um, the larger cycles of grief for me, it has very much been a process of, um, actually I'm gonna put a mid-range in there too. A mid-range grief, if I'm having like a pretty icky grief day, but it's not overwhelming, it's not like, holy shit, this has been the whole of my life and this will be the whole of my life. Mm. That mid-range, for me personally, and this will look different from person to person, I have to create space for it. And usually that either looks like solitude or being with one other person who is very, very, very safe. Mm. Um, I'm so fortunate to have a handful of people at this point in my life where if I have a mid-range day and I'm like, okay, I'm pretty deep in this. I need time to process it and just like stare at a wall and let my brain, cause I'm not going to talk. I actually don't verbally process grief that much. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a very like felt experience inside my body. Um, and sometimes I can hold my own space for it. I have spent so much of the past year of my life, um, sitting on my patio with a cup of coffee, staring at the street and the trees, mm -hmm. just like letting the sensation happen. Like I just, I just allow it at this point. Um, and again, sometimes like if I'm in, in a place where I particularly need support or just like witness while I'm going through the process, um, then I have a handful of very safe people that I can invite into that space with me. And all of them at this point know when I'm in grief, I can't talk. I'm like, I literally just need someone to be with me and kind of like co-regulate mm -hmm. while I yeah. cry and feel the sadness and all of the things. And then there is this third form of grief that is so fucking baked into my body. It's like, and, and this isn't Josh grief. Josh is usually the mid-range grief. It's so, it's so strange to acknowledge that out loud. I don't think I've ever verbalized that to anyone. Mm. Um, my Joshua grief is not my top tier grief. Mm. My top tier grief is inner child grief. Mm. It's like the moments when I'm sitting and looking at the whole scope of my life and the parts of me that I have 
over time systematically shaved off and contorted and twisted and bent in order to feel safety and belonging with my people. Um, that started happening so young as it does for all of us, but I think it's a little bit more so in ways for those of us who were raised in very conservative religion because there is just such a small box that one can fit into. And so like the, the shaving off of pieces and parts of yourself is so dramatic. Like some of the parts that I've started to reclaim at this point, and I realized they went back to my childhood. That is like existential grief. Yeah. There's like daily grief, like the little friends canceled plans things. There is situational grief that's like, this will just exist for the whole of my life. Um, and that's, that's where Joshua fits. And then there is the grief of an entire fucking lifetime mm -hmm. and the grief of, I wish this could have been different. I wish that more space could have been held for these pieces and parts of me that I lost for decades. And now that I'm reclaiming them, I don't know how to reintegrate into relationship with the people that I initially shaved them off for. <laughs> yeah. Because they don't know those parts of me because I so effectively and so deliberately cut those pieces of myself off. And so now they're looking at these, these like parts of me start to thrive and they're going, who the fuck are you? What is happening? <laughs> and so there's also that grief associated with loss of connection with people who genuinely from the bottom of their hearts, as much as they want to understand me and be able to hold space for me, they cannot, like it is just not in the realm of capacity. Mm. Um, existential grief. My tool for that is what I call the cauldron. Um, I have this, like, I, I built, like, I realized this thing probably within the last, like, three months of my life. Is this going to be the name of your program? Or <laughs> maybe. Maybe. It, it sounds amazing. It is most certainly going to be in my, like, top tier um, facilitating exploratory um, experience program. Um, the cauldron is something I will most certainly teach because it has been one of the most helpful things for me in terms of navigating grief. Um, and the cauldron is simply a place in my mind or like I, I consider like the back burner of my life that I put things that I am aware of, but I do not have capacity to completely feel or process or deal with all at the same time right now. Mm. And so what I do, and it's been so interesting to recognize this as part of my process, um, the cauldron has become this place where I can put a lot of my inner child stuff and I'm like, okay, I know this exists. I know it's impacting the way I show up in relationships. I know it's detracting from my quality of life, but it is too big. It's, I, it cannot be taken on at the same time, all at the same time. Yeah. It just can't. I'm, I'm right. not, my human capacity is not that. And it's never going to be. Like we weren't meant to deal with giant existential trauma and grief every day, every day. Like we just can't do that. Yeah. And so I put it in the cauldron and what I imagine is like literally this little cauldron, like a little cast iron bowl. And I put these things in it and there's an ongoing fire 
um, there's just like an ongoing fire in it and it's a low level fire, which makes so much sense for my astrology <laughs> because half of my chart is fire and half of it is, it is earth. Mm. So like the idea of this like little space where I can just like put these things and let them simmer and smolder and kind of like process over time while I just live, mm. like I just live. And what I've noticed over time is that the cauldron gives things back to me as I'm ready, like little pieces, mm. little itty bitty pieces, like in increments. And so all of this huge existential inner child grief is in the cauldron right now. I know it's there. I see the ramifications of it. Can't deal with the whole thing at once, but I trust the fucking cauldron. I trust the universe. I trust God, my concept of God as it currently exists to hold that and like process it and like let things sift out, like let the dust settle on it. And then as I can, I am handed little pieces of it to be like, okay, I have the capacity to look at this little part of little baby Audra's experience mm -hmm. and how it's impacting big girl Audra right now. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the cauldron it has been <laughs> one of my most my most powerful resources the past few months um because the magnitude of grief is just too much it's too much so like anytime people wonder because i do get questions a lot because i present in general i try to i try to give a very honest depiction of what my life looks like right now and that's very complicated because a lot of it is grief and a lot of it is ecstatic joy and so I, I always like think about the cauldron whenever people are a little confused about how like committed I am to joy and pleasure and happiness and connection and all of these things in the wake of this massive tragedy, um, which is only a fraction of the grief that I'm processing through. Like whatever grief you look at a human and think they're experiencing, multiply it by 100 and you might be getting somewhere close. But I always think about the cauldron when people are a little confused about why I, how I have the capacity for joy right now. And I'm just like, I have to, like, I have to believe that I don't have to spend the next five to 10 years of my life just like waiting constantly through this painful process. I have to believe that I can put it somewhere and it will be divinely refined and given back to me at the appropriate time. And in the meantime, I can just like, play and dance and cook and listen to my kids say, no, why? 150,000 <laughs> times a day. And I can like walk down streets in the middle of Kansas city and like feel the magic and the romance of Kansas city after sunset. And I can like sit with my friends on the patio and drink scotch. And I can like love the shit out of my partners. And I can like invest deeply in myself and the world that I'm trying to build. And the grief is always going to be there. Like, it's always going to be there. And I'll take it as it comes. The cauldron will give it to me as it comes. <laughs> I, I, I can't stop smiling. And I also just got, like, full body chills. <laughs> I feel like I just, I saw you very vividly. Um, all three stages of your grief, you allowed and made space. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so, like, at first it's like, you know, you allow the feeling of disappointment about the party. Mm -hmm. The second one, you allow yourself space and you invite someone in to hold space for you yes if you need it the third you've cre literally created a space within yourself yeah. 
to allow yourself space. And then I was like, fuck, this is what she does for a goddamn living. <laughs> of is, course you this do. This is what I do. Of course you do because you are good at this. The reason it's so funny, um, I was just thinking yesterday that one of the most powerful things about the work that I'm stepping into right now is the reason that I'm so good at it is because I've been doing it for myself for yeah. 15 years. Yeah, like this is who I, you are. This is literally just part of who I am. It's how my brain operates. There's no, there's no effort to it. Yeah. And like, and that was one of the things I asked the universe for when, when Josh died and I realized, okay, I have a six month old baby to raise on my own. I'm in the middle of a pandemic. I wasn't really working at the time. I like had a couple of clients in um, virtual assistant spaces, but I was sitting there and, and I was just like, how do I do this? And I knew immediately, I was like, I, I don't have any intention. I have no intention of living the like struggling single mom who never sees her kid because she's working three jobs to make ends meet. I'm not going to live that narrative for my kid. And that comes deeply. I, I want to acknowledge 100% that that comes from a deeply fucking privileged place. Mm -hmm. The reason that I can do that has so much to do with the body that I show up in in the world every single day. My role as a white wealthy I'm like trying to figure out what my markers are at this point I was like white cis head I don't know what any of this is anymore but like <laughs> I show up in a body that allows me the privilege of making that decision yeah. of just like from the very get-go saying I don't choose that road and small side tangent like that's part of the like that's actually part of the long-term vision when I think about the kind of world that I want to build so I want to build a world where more humans in more kinds of bodies have the capacity to look and make that choice yeah. like I want to spend my privilege removing the barriers that so many people experience to making that kind of choice because I had that choice available like I I have the support system in place not financially but like emotionally and systemically I have the support system in place that means that after my spouse died I could say I, my kid only has one parent and you best believe that he's going to have me all the way. Like I, I refuse to, I refuse to entertain any other way than I'm going to create a life where I get to be with my kid. I'm not just trying to provide for my kid. I get to be with him and raise him and love him and witness him and all of these things. And that was what I asked the universe for. I was just like, I'll, I'll do whatever I'll, I will do whatever, but I just need it to be effortless. I need my work in this world to be something that is so deeply integral to who I am as a person that my healing, like my ongoing healing can become a part of my work. Like I am healing as I work and I am holding space for others to heal as I work. That's the yeah. definition of regenerative. Isn't it? Yes, that's it. That's it. Like I, I want the entirety of my business to be regenerative. So I, I love, thank you so much for saying that. Like that's because yeah. you're exactly right. Like the reason that I can hold this kind of space for other people is because I've been doing it for myself for 15 years. It's, it's so deep. And I've been doing it for others for 15 years too, because this is, I'm sure you know this feeling being who you are. Like I've just 
always been the person that people know that they can come to for space holding and like deep, generous, fearless, non-anxious witness. And it's, it's just, I don't know. I've figured out over time how to do that for myself. It's because you're, it's because you're the motherfucking cosmos. I'm the cosmos. You've got all the space. Hello everyone, Christina Carlson here. If you've left your religion behind and feel uncertain what your direction or purpose is now, or if you're feeling like you're having trouble accessing your personal power and getting in touch with your intuition, I would love to chat with you. I'm a life coach and I specifically work with people who have left religion to find their purpose and reconnect with themselves. Please click the link in the show notes to learn more or just head to christinamcarlson.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-M-C-A-R-L-S-O-N.com. Thank you so much. Now back to the show. Um, so I want to talk about like your work yeah. as a space holder for mm-hmm. grief. Um, specifically, like what, what you see is like the most challenging thing that comes mm. up for like, I don't know, like a... There's, you know, there's the big transition of change yes. that is grief. And then there's a lot of transitions in that towards moving to the end of this particular change process. What, what are like some of the big transitions that happen in there that mm. you see with your clients? Yeah. So one of the things that I like to differentiate between is primary loss and secondary loss. Um, so most of the people that I hold space and conversation with, they're working through some form of transition, whether it's a death or like a divorce or like a coming out process or any of the things, um, all of it involves grief, literally all of it. Again, like that's baked into change. Like people seek me out when they're in the midst of a season of change. So they come to me in the middle of grief, even if they don't know it, (laughs) even if they like wouldn't label it that. Right. And I think for, for most grief and I can, I can kind of put this within the framework of my experience with Joshua, but it is, I think it's true of any form of grief that we have. And that is that there is the primary loss and then there are the secondary losses. And in my experience, the secondary losses have actually been harder. Mm -hmm. Um, Only because losing Joshua was the single hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And yet (laughs) the secondary losses are smaller on their own, but there are so fucking many of them. Mm. And that looks like everything from because Joshua died, I don't have a co-parent. And so I'm a single mom, which removes a lot of my options. Um, Or it means that the options that I do have, I have to do four times as much legwork to put the support structures in place to make that happen. So like an example of that would be if I were in a situation where I had a co-parent and I want to go out with a friend on Friday night and like do happy hour and drink a glass of wine, theoretically, like if Joshua still existed, if the primary loss had not happened, then I would just be able to say, Hey, I would love to do this thing on Friday night. And he would be like, cool. I've got the kid. Go. Yeah. That doesn't exist for me. It does but it's not baked into my life the way it would be if the primary loss did not exist. Changed. So it changed, it changed. And so like getting freedom, like having the capacity for like a social life and I'm a single mom, I'm dating, like having the capacity for dating, 
having the capacity for just like, so kiddo's uh, school was closed last week because of COVID stuff. And so I just had him, I was just solo parenting for seven days straight, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there were just so many moments when I was like, I literally just want another human to exist in my home. Mm -hmm. Not so that I can ask for much, but so that I can be like, Hey, I'm going to go shower yeah. or I'm going to go take five minutes where my kid isn't treating my body like a human jungle gym because he's a toddler and that's what toddlers do. There's just, so like that's, I feel like that's a really easy framework in which to understand primary loss and secondary loss. Yeah. So like the, the loss of Joshua was the single hardest thing, but the secondary losses go on forever. Hmm. The yeah. secondary losses are the day that Holland graduates high school. Right. And my mama heart is overjoyed by the fact that we did 18 years together and all of that contained and the secondary loss of Joshua should fucking be here. Yeah. Like he will, all of the joy, not just for him, but for you, for him, for me, for Holland, for the whole thing. Like there's just, um, the secondary losses stack up so quickly and they go on forever. So one of the things that I try to do when I work with people who are going through big change or contemplating big change, because that's actually one of the big, um, one of the big spaces I end up hold, holding for people is for those whose lives have not changed yet, but they can feel it coming. Mm. So like I, <laughs> I get a lot of people, um, I said this yesterday on the servant up call, <laughs> like I end up being a, a person that a lot of people seek out for permission to leave the church, to be queer, or to be non-monogamous, or all three, <laughs> like the trifecta. <laughs> and usually when people come in, come to me being in that space, nothing has actually changed yet in their functional lives, hmm. but they're like already processing the grief and the secondary losses of what could happen if they step into the fullness of what they actually want. Yeah. Oh, interesting thought here. Love this. Um, yeah. Because because this is like this is a slightly different in that the tragedy that happened to you was sudden. Mm -hmm. Not. I mean, no, you've been through a yes. lot of changes, yeah. but specifically with Joshua, it was sudden. Yes. With the change that people are coming yes. to you with in these instances, yes. contemplating change, they're grieving in advance. In advance. It's why I'm actually so grateful for my deconstruction process because deconstruction co yes. taught me a lot about that. And I know you know yes. that feeling to your bones. Yes. Like, because you're sitting in, I, I still remember days sitting inside the church. This was before I left. I still remember sitting in church services and going, I don't know if I believe this anymore. I don't, I don't know if I believe this anymore. I don't know if I believe this anymore. And like, as that started to settle into my bones, our brains, of course, play out what Please. happens next. If yeah. this, then what? Yeah. If I don't believe this anymore, then I leave I my entire framework for what life is because that's what the church was for me. Like, yeah. I, I wish one of the things I truly wish that I could communicate to people who are still inside the church because, and I know this isn't the case for all of us, but like the kids who went from being the gold star youth group kids to being raging ex-evangelicals. There was like, I saw a graphic actually to this effect this a couple of weeks ago that was like, 
it talked about the gold star youth group kid to raging ex-evangelical pipeline. I was like, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> For those of us who were like deep in it and we believed and we were championing it and we were working for the church and we were doing all the things, I wish I could communicate to people still inside the church the absolute devastation of everything. It is, it is literally waking up one day and going, I think it's possible that everything I've ever believed to be true is a lie. Yes. And there's like, there is no, yeah, there's no other way of it. It's, I, I've never experienced fear like that. The night Josh died, like the night Josh died, I, I didn't experience fear like of what was to come because by that point I trusted myself. I knew I could build something from it. But at the beginning of my deconstruction, if y'all can hear my dog snoring, you're welcome. <laughs> it's very cute. Um, yes. Just having a dream. It's <laughs> yeah. existential. It is. Again, why. it goes into the cauldron. Like it yeah. spent so much time. That's yeah. why it took me five years to yeah. leave the church. Pieces were coming yes. back to you. When Pieces you came back to me when I could handle them. And it was just like in the cauldron for years. Yeah. I wish I could communicate the depth of grief that went into deconstruction and still does. Like that's still something I'm processing. Um, I don't feel it in the same way that I used to, but it's still something that impacts the way that I relate to others and my fear of abandonment, my fear of like losing community support after having like invested so deeply in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wish I could communicate how much grief there is with that. But honestly, in my work, I'm so grateful for that because that's given me that perspective to work with people who are like, okay, the change hasn't happened yet, but I feel this sense of impending doom. And I know that basically like I have to, if I want to honor these pieces of myself, I have to prepare for the possibility that I might blow up my life in the process. And that you don't have to. And that you don't have to. That for me, that was always like the safe, my my cauldron or whatever it was inside of me was like, you don't have to do anything. Don't have to do anything. And that that was like the safe, that's why I did something. It's because I was, I kept telling myself, Nothing is making me move. Yes. I am in control here. Uh-huh. And and because of that yes. safety, I was able to leave. But I needed to know that I didn't have you to. You needed to know you didn't have to. And also, I think that's actually another piece of what I would say that a gifting of mine is in working with my, my people through grief that's, like, ongoing and systemic and completely revolutionizing their lives is, like, the primary thing that people come to me for is permission. The secondary thing that they come to me for is support Mm -hmm. because my framework for changing a life in a radical way is that if you're willing to take the time and do the internal and external foundational work to support the shift, you don't actually have to, like, you can do a controlled burn of your life. Ah, instead of dropping an atom bomb. Right. And I think a lot of people, they only see the atom bomb option. Whereas I am, so again, like going back to my, my astrological chart, I am almost half and half. Like I have one Aquarius placement, one Aries placement, and one Scorpio placement. Everything else is Sagittarius and Capricorn, which essentially means that being inside my body feels like simultaneously being the girl at the bar who had one too many Midori Sours and is now planning to move to France next week. (laughs) And an accountant (laughs) who wants to make a nice spaghetti dinner and be in bed by nine. (laughs) 
so that they can like support their energy through their next day of accounting. <laughs> um, this fits you. <laughs> I am both of those people, <laughs> which is again, one of the reasons I'm so well suited to this work because mm. that Sagittarius part of me is like, fuck yes. Fuck shit up. Like if, if you need to like fuck up your life in order to be whole, I think about this all the time. And I would say this to anyone, anyone, because I watched my best friend go through crippling depression and crippling fear. And so much of it had to do with like ways that he wanted to show up that he was just so scared of what that was going to mean for his life, you know, and so scared of what the people that he loved most and had historically known him to be a very specific version of himself. Um, what they were going to think, how they were going to respond, whether it was going to emotionally impact them. And I, I think if I could go back to the night before Josh died and tell him anything, I would sit on the floor with him and I would say, fuck it up. All of it. Like blow your entire life to smithereens. If it means you can stay, let what other people think go fuck itself they can manage their own emotional experience of who you are let them have that if whatever you need like if you need to quit your job we will figure it out if you need to (laughs) blow up shit with any any person or range of people on the planet i don't care i don't care what people think i don't care what structural changes we need to make to our life fuck it up if it means you can stay if it means that you can like look in the mirror and be at peace with yourself, fuck it up. And that's half of what people come to me for is like my, the part of me that's just like, if it means that you can live with yourself, yeah, torch it. I'll, I will, I have matches. I have matches. I will light one right we, fuck now. We write it dawn. We, we write it dawn. <laughs> like I'm here with you. But the other thing that they come to me for is that Capricorn part of my brain that's like, okay, you can do that. You can just like say fuck it all and drop the atom bomb. Or you can take the accountant approach to the Midori Sour Girls desire changes. <laughs> you So you do want to move to France. You do want to move to France. <laughs> Let's make a plan. Let's like... Do put some systems and structures in place that are going to support you through it, that are going to support your people through it, Mm -hmm. that are going to like end with you getting the result that you want, you ending with the life that you want, a life that allows you to look in the mirror and see yourself, like who you actually are, Mm -hmm. all the parts of you welcome in the mirror. Let's get you to that place with the least harm done. Mm -hmm. That's going to take time. (laughs) my big ass exploratory journey that's like integrating whole life, like whole life into the changes that people want to make. Basically like the, I need to torch my life and have a different one is a year long. Like I, because there, you can't, you can't rush the process. Like the reason people go with the atom bomb approach is because the other option takes so much time and there is so much sitting with grief involved in it. Like, yeah, and they also might not be able to. Yes. Like yeah. if, you can't, if you can't live waiting a year, you know what? blow it Sometimes up. Sometimes you can't. Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes the atom bomb is the only option. Yeah. Um, I am here for the people for whom the systematic approach and like the deep grief 
and the deep integration and the deep like self-exploration and soul searching and integrating what you find into an actual life that can support that. That's my shit. Like, mm. and it's literally committing to a year of grief. And if I know you at all, there's a lot of joy mixed in there. There's so much joy. There's well. so much joy. Yes. <laughs> I want to ask you one more question yeah. before we wrap. Okay. Um, our society tends to work in binaries. Hmm. What have you learned through the process of grief about being a whole human? I've learned so much about being a person as just being a series of spectrums. <laughs> like, okay, I love it's this. all just a series of spectrums. And I think, again, that is one of the, the reasons that, that people have the most discomfort with truly leaning into the grief process is the beauty of binaries is it allows you to land. It allows you to land in a place and be like, this is where I am. This is who I am. This is what I feel. And it, it also feels like in ways, similarly to the way that I see the church at this point as being a bunker, binaries feel like a bunker. They feel very safe and very predictable. And there are these like beautiful concrete walls on the outside that help you understand the world and protect you from everything outside it. Mm. The problem with that is that there is no way to honor the full spectrum of anyone's humanity inside that kind of system. Mm. And I experienced this the first time the night Joshua died. And by the time I got the phone call, I knew he was gone. Like I could feel his absence in my chest, like every red flag was there and I knew he was gone and I was just like waiting for the call and when I got the phone call the first thing I experienced in my body was gratitude and the binary system doesn't allow for gratitude when your spouse just died and your kid's sleeping upstairs and is going to need to be nursed in a couple hours but my experience of it was for a split second, it didn't last long <laughs> before the hellscape of pain set in. Mm -hmm. But my first embodied sensation was relief that he wasn't in pain anymore. Mm -hmm. Like it was, oh my God, I'm so happy that you're at peace. Like, and, and I could feel that in my chest. I felt it in such a like sparkling embodied way mm -hmm. that he was at peace. Mm -hmm. And I wanted that for him. I didn't want it to happen this way. Sure as shit did not want it to happen this way. But in that moment, my first instinct was, he's not in pain anymore. And I saw his pain in such a front row seat kind of way that I got the gift of gratitude, like for a split second. And, in a, and then I experienced the full scale of the spectrum in about a 30 second period <laughs> where it was like gratitude, gratitude, less gratitude, shock, shock, holy shit, what the fuck happened? The deepest existential pain of my life. Like, traveled the full scale of the spectrum in about a 30 second period. And this all happened within like a minute after he died, or after I got the phone call. Binaries do not make space for that. They just, they don't make space for the full experience of being human. I think about this also with my, my experience of growing up in the church. I have gratitude for the way that I was raised. 
because it gave me a framework for the divine that I don't know I would have otherwise. It gave me a framework for, I think it's possible that there's something bigger than us, like tying this whole fucking thing together. I'm grateful for it. I am grateful for the person that I became as a result of the way that I scratched and clawed my way through deconstruction. The amount of effort that I put in, I would not be this person without that. Yeah. And so I'm grateful for it. And also, fuck it. Like, mm -hmm. fuck that it had to be that hard. Fuck that it had to involve so much self-abandonment and community abandonment and so much shaving off of pieces of myself. And the same with Joshua's death. Like, fuck that my best friend is not here. Like, he's a piece, sure. But, like, also, fuck that he's not here. And fuck that his kid is not going to get to know the best person I ever knew. Mm -hmm. Fuck that he is only ever going to get to know him through stories that I tell him. And, like, the videos from the first six months of his life. That's All of that is such bullshit. And the binary system tells me that I can only feel one of those things. Mm -hmm. It tells me that grief and gratitude cannot exist that grief and joy cannot exist yeah. together. They can't, they can't cohabitate in the same spaces. Mm. And honestly, grief more than anything else has blown up all of that for me. Like I, I no longer have a concept and I didn't before Josh died really, but like particularly after this, this like intense period of grief, I want to give every single person who is still operating according to binary systems a giant hug and be like i know you are working your ass off to like continue believing that the world is this black and white that it's this clear i know you're working your ass off because i've done that work <laughs> like i did that work for years um and while there is more pain in this route there's actually not i just feel it now yeah. There was there was so much pain in that system there. for me. I just like didn't feel it or honor it. I was so disembodied. Yes, though that's it. That's it. It's grief and my the way that I threw myself into it and have just allowed it. Because that was that was another thing. Like a thing I wish I could tell people that about the grief process, especially when it's one of this magnitude, is you fundamentally die, like, as a person. Like, the day that Josh died, so did I. Like, mm -hmm. that version of me no longer exists. Mm -hmm. And that is the truth because I decided to go into my grief. Like, I decided I'm not going to fight it. I'm not going to lose myself in an endless loop of busyness and, like, stories about how, like, how I'm not worthy of grief. I'm not worthy of this season mm -hmm. of grief. I have taken almost a full year and a half to largely not work, to be with my kid, to process the loss, to move through grief. And because of that, the person I was the day Josh died no longer exists. She's gone. Like, and I, I wish that I could, <laughs> I wish I could um, package that in a way that would allow the people who knew me before to honor their own grief process about the fact that I'm gone. Yeah. Because they have their grief process too. I've had a number of conversations wherein I've just, I've wanted to squeeze people so close and be like, baby, you're trying to get to a part of me that no longer exists. She's gone. Like, mm. she's, and she's not coming back. 
and you are worthy of grieving that. You are worthy of like feeling the pain of this person that you knew for so long and you had some hand in shaping. You are worthy of the grief that comes along with the fact that she died when her spouse did because she's gone. She's not coming back. I hope you find a way to honor that <laughs> because I've watched a lot of relationships blow up because they can't honor their own grief over the loss of me, like mm. me as I once existed. Mm. Um, and that's been its own challenge. But like, that's, that's what has happened is as soon as I made the decision to go full bore into grief and like allow it to turn me into whoever it decided to turn me into to like clarify me down into the purest form of myself so far. Um, as soon as I made that decision, I lost some of my dissociation yeah. because all of a sudden, like all of the parts of me were welcome at the table, the pain and the joy and the love and the adventure and the like rage and all of the things were suddenly welcome at the table. And if all of those things are sitting at the table, binaries don't exist. They just don't. Like, yeah, you know, full table, it's a full table. And, and so many of them, they all exist at the same time. Mm, yeah. So truly like nothing has blown up my experience of like my, my previous experience of binaries and black and whites more than grief has. Mm. Because if I fully honor the grief process, if I fully honor the cycles of my life and the truth that in every loss, there's also gain. And in every gain, there's also loss. Like beginnings and endings are all fucking tied up together. Mm -hmm. And so like, there is no binary. There's just a cycle. And I, ooh, that's what it is. It's not even a spectrum. It's a circle. We're back. We're, we're back. Full circle. <laughs> we're back. Literally full circle. We are literally, we just did full circle in an hour and a half. <laughs> but that's what it is. It's, it's yeah. binaries don't exist to me anymore because, and in ways, yeah, kind of spectrums, in ways don't either like for this particular portion of my life it's just one it's a cycle and it can all coexist in the same space and people can coexist with you in the same place because you have made room for yourself to be yeah a human. yeah it's so interesting um i have become a person that in ways it's like and i this is not unwelcome it's actually very welcome at this point in my life um i'm a very polarizing person like in general, I either magnetize or repel people. And when I say repel, I don't mean they hate me. I'm actually, I'm not an easily hateable person. <laughs> I'm, I'm much too kind and likable for most people to hate me because I actually am just a good person. I'm a decent human. Yeah. But like by repel, I don't mean hate. I mean, like they don't even perceive me. Like there are so many people on this planet that it's just like, they just miss everything. <laughs> about like what I'm bringing to the table and my energy mm. and all of the things magnetize or repel. You have allowed yourself to be a whole person. And so people who are not comfortable yes. with being with yep. themselves cannot be comfortable yep. with you. But when they're ready That's to it. blow up their lives, they're fucking there yes. because they know that you are capable of that. That's exactly it. Because I have allowed the full, the full spectrum of myself to sit at the same table and to show up in the entirety of my life. There are people who are there for that and there are people who are not. And I've become so comfortable with that. Like I, I used to be someone who wanted so much for everyone to like me and see me and affirm me and all of the things. And at this point, I just, I want the people who are magnetized to the possibility that they too can show up as the entire 
circle, the entire cycle of themselves um, in all of the parts. All of the parts are welcome. And that's, it's not for everyone. Even the people who it is for, it's scary as shit. Sometimes a friend of mine said a couple of days ago, I don't remember what we were talking about, but he just like looked at me at some point and was like, you scare the shit out of me sometimes. <laughs> and I was like, thank you. Because I know where that's coming from for you because people don't come into my sphere unless they're prepared to like reckon with the ways that they've cut off parts of themselves. Because my wholeness and the way that I'm like continuously moving toward increasing amounts of wholeness, I don't know, it like opens up possibilities for people. And so they either are repelled by that or they're magnetized, but they're still a part of them that are like, oh shit, like this is going to be costly. <laughs> like you are not, you are not someone who's going to allow me to just like be <laughs> and like stay the same. You are going to require change in me. Yes. Yes. yes I am. Cheers. You're welcome. <laughs> I, it's so funny because I've noticed this about myself as well um, in, a, in a different way. I, I'm a projector in human design. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. So I can see you. Yeah. And I see people. Yep. Not everybody wants to be seen. Yes. So uh -huh. I repel people who are not ready to be seen. Yeah. People come to me when they yeah. want to see themselves or they're ready to be seen or they like being seen. Oh, that's what it is. People <laughs> come to you when they're ready to be seen. They come to me when they're ready to be whole. Yeah. Because like, that's what we do. I'm yeah. And I'm manifesting generator. Yeah. And so my orientation is bring everything to the table like the more the better like i i'm not someone who works in like fractioned off pieces and parts i want all of it at the same table yeah yeah it's so interesting how we we magnetize people who are looking at the way we're moving through the world mm -hmm. and are like yes that yeah scares I'm, the shit I'm, out of I'm me i'm ready i'm but terrified yes, that. And yes. <laughs> yes oh i love this because ah. it's so important like each each of those gifts are so unique and, yes. and so important yes. for whenever a person is ready for it. Yep. But, but you can't make yourself be ready to be seen or to be held in all that you are or to grieve. You just can't. It's when it's time, then people are like seeking you out. Yes. And you're like, I know why you're here. I know why you're here. You're ready I to, know why you're, you're here. ready to be seen. <laughs> I keep thinking too, this feels like an Enneagram 4 thing. It feels like two different sides of the four coins yeah. because like being seen and being whole, it always used to fucking infuriate me. It still does, clearly. You can tell by the way I just said fucking. Um, <laughs> it used to infuriate me? No, Audra, it still infuriates you. <laughs> um, I hate it when people reduce Enneagram 4s to, well, they just need to be unique. They just need to be special. And I'm like, no. it's not that I need to be special. It's that I need to be whole. And yeah. I understand that if I'm allowed to show up in wholeness, I just will be unique. Like, yeah. just by the nature of human existence. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's always been like, a, I don't need to be special or unique. I need to be allowed to be motherfucking whole. Yeah. Like, I need to be allowed to be myself. I need to be allowed to be myself. Yeah. And yours is such a, like, different side of that coin because a huge part of us, like... We want to be whole and then we want to be seen yeah. in our wholeness. <laughs> like we want to be seen in our wholeness. So that's the beauty. I think that's so much of what the four like typing has to offer mm. is when we are integrated within ourselves and in healthy spaces in ourselves, we are whole inside ourselves and deeply seen by ourselves. And so then we can in turn offer that to others. And then, yeah. And then it's offered. <laughs> oh my God. I love talking to you. <laughs> yeah. We <Like>, giddy. <laughs> we do. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Amazing. Same. Hello, everyone. I just wanted to take a minute to talk about my life coaching services. 
I love supporting women and non-binary folk to create a deeper connection to their bodies, uh, an understanding of who they are and what they value most, and a clear sense of where they're headed. I know personally, after leaving religion, that this was quite a process, and I believe support is extremely helpful. If you've been feeling like um, you're having trouble saying no, or you're saying yes when you want to say no, you're feeling a lack of confidence or uncertainty around direction and purpose in your life, I would love to talk with you and see what we could work on together. There is, there is so much life and love and fulfillment to be had in this new stage after religion and creating a purpose for yourself and undoing all of that old, uh, all of those old stories that we have from that type of past. And I believe those answers are to be found in your body and that you have all of those answers inside of you. And I love guiding people on their journey back to themselves. Um, feel free to find me at www.christinamcarlson.com, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-M-C-A-R-L-S-O-N. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Religious Renegade podcast. Please like and subscribe to hear more. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Christina Carlson Life Coach. Thank you.